0: What is up, guys, and welcome to another edition of the Total Score podcast. I know it has been a while since the last pod, essentially since the championship games have ended, so it's been about a week and a half. I was planning on doing a podcast on Sunday, and then uh, the day took a turn for the absolute worst with the tragic, tragic events that happened to Kobe Bryant, his daughter, Gigi, and the other seven passengers of that helicopter crash, so... I, I was affected a lot. I'll get to that later on in the podcast, just my thoughts about it and everything. So I I just I just not was I was just not in the right mental state to record a podcast on Sunday and at the same time other than I didn't want to just reel on emotionally for for that long. I I just wasn't in the right frame of mind to do a podcast Sunday night. So I took a couple of days I wanted to gather my thoughts a little bit about Kobe, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but I did also Want to also, I did want to regather as well, so I could talk about the events and sports as well and continue uh, doing what we normally do on this pod, which we will, of course, at Total Sports Score on Instagram, totalsportscore.com. I promise there's more coming to the website. Just uh, had a lot going on, obviously, and uh. We are also on it, on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and also Newsflash. We are actually going to start posting podcasts on our YouTube channel, so that way there is a full archive of all the podcasts from now on since we don't have a premium SoundCloud where we just have everything saved. It's only three-hour upload file, so you constantly have to keep deleting podcasts, and there's only two or three at a time. So we're going to start posting them onto YouTube, and maybe there'll be video accompanied with it eventually where you're just seeing my face or when we have guests and all that, but... Um, I mean essentially it's a one-man show for the most part but we're gonna continue to move forward and it's gonna be a rather short podcast just a few things to discuss and I think it's worthy to start off with the Super Bowl pick because that is the big event on the weekend it is gonna be the Super Bowl this Sunday in Miami between the Chiefs and the 49ers I mean all I'm hoping for is a good game that is I think what everyone is hoping for after last year's uh, snooze fest that it was the Rams and the Patriots putting on a terrible game of football and like Granted, I think a lot of people, you know, tried to find the beauty in that game, and I think there was beauty in that game in some ways. Tactically, it was beautiful. Excuse me there. Tactically, it was beautiful just because it was a chess match between McVay and Belichick. But you could very clearly see Belichick knew the moves he was going to make, and he executed those moves A lot better than Sean McVay. I think Sean McVay was really stuck in what he wanted to do. He tried to play his game against the Patriots. And that just did not work. It was never going to work. And it resulted in probably the worst Super Bowl of all time. Not to mention the commercials were not very funny. And the halftime show was also very bad. And I am still, to this day, and will always be salty about the disgrace that was the Spongebob tribute. We wanted sweet victory. After the creator of Spongebob uh, passed away, people were petitioning for it. Millions of people on Twitter, signing, Kickstarters, everything. We wanted Sweet Victory to actually be played at that Super Bowl. And it wasn't. What did they do? They just had a little 20-second thing with them in the marching band introducing Travis freaking Scott. And they didn't play Sweet Victory. And I was pissed off i was not happy about that and i'm still not going to be happy about that i think JLo and shakira will do a better job i'm sure it's going to be a it's going to be a spectacle for sure the halftime show is going to be a lot of great uh visuals just from you know a prop standpoint i think stage design because they just have so many great people that work for them they're two mega stars internationally obviously um i would love to see if a rod and gerard bk made uh, cameos that'd be kind of funny but it's about the football game for sure and before the football game, 24 hours before the football game, we'll have the NFL Honors, which is the award show, which is still the worst award show in sports because they always reveal the winners of the awards hours before the actual show, which is BS. And it's something I've been complaining also about for years. It's like the NFL Honors starts at uh, 830. On Twitter at five, Patrick Mahomes has won the MVP. What the hell, man? I wanted to watch the show and be surprised. Well, you can't be surprised. Essentially, the only surprise you get for that show is a monologue from Steve Harvey, which I don't think is worth spending your time sitting down to watch. You can always just watch on YouTube later. Um, If the Hall of Fame picks are spontaneous and a surprise, which I think they also reveal those early as well. But personally, to see uh, who gets inducted in the Hall of Fame is always very interesting. I don't know who's up for induction i'd have to check but we'll find out on saturday in terms of who i think will win the awards uh we just saw that the pepsi rookie of the year was nick bosa i think he's got defensive rookie of the year down offensive rookie of the year i think is tough i think kyler murray is definitely in contention i can't really put a finger to who is a favorite to win that one mvp should be lamar jackson i do think michael thomas should be considered for mvp as well defensive player of the year is tough as well I think there's a couple of names, but nothing really comes to mind. I don't know. There's just – I think Lamar Jackson and Michael Thomas are really the only people and Nick Bosa are the only people that I can really think of that had, like, really outstanding seasons. Like, Lamar Jackson should also win Offensive Player of the Year. I think Christian McCaffrey should be in the mix for that, but not the MVP because the Panthers were not very good. Um, But it doesn't matter because we're going to find out who wins all the awards three hours before the show starts, which is unfortunate. But time for the Super Bowl. Who am I picking to win the game? Last podcast, I basically um, told you guys that I didn't know who to pick. And I really still don't know who to pick. I think this game is so evenly matched because there's just there's two ways this can go. The Niners will dominate the Kansas City Chiefs the entire time with their defense and waste time with the offense if Raheem Mostert just has these big gaping holes to run through and Garoppolo completes short passes to Kittle and to Sanders and all those other guys. And the Niners kill clock and their defense dominates, they're going to win the game, no problem. But on the other hand, you think to yourself, this Chiefs team is explosive. Andy Reid is going to pull out all the stops out of the playbook. He's going to be creative on offense. He's going to get them to throw big plays to Tyreek Hill. He's going to get Hardman involved. He's going to get Sammy Watkins involved, Damian Williams as well. And even if the 49ers have a three-touchdown lead, the Chiefs are not out of it. They know how to come back from these deficits. They, They know how to have big quarters. The Chiefs, for me are probably the only team in the NFL that really consistently can have four to five touchdown quarters. We've seen the Chiefs have a couple four touchdown quarters since Patrick Mahomes has started at quarterback. Um, And it's actually kind of funny that both of the Alex Smith teams are in this Super Bowl. You know, Alex Smith drafted first by the 49ers, um, a consistent QB for them, but they were very bad for a long time. Then they started making the playoffs. Then Smith gets uh, hurt, or and he wasn't playing well, Is also in 2012. Colin Kaepernick gets the start. 49ers make the Super Bowl. Smith goes to the Chiefs. He plays well for the Chiefs. They make the playoffs. They decide to trade him to Washington, make the jump to Patrick Mahomes, and both franchises have been better off. I think it's interesting for sure. It's also the Joe Montana Bowl. Uh, Alex Smith playing for the same two career teams as Joe Montana. Joe Montana started with the Niners, won four Super Bowls, then went to the Chiefs. Chiefs are trying to win their second. Niners are trying to win their sixth. I think based on the Niners defense, I think officially right now at this moment, I'm going to pick the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. Because I think the Chiefs, I think for two reasons. One, I do think Nick Bosa is going to be able to get to Patrick Mahomes. That for me is going to be the stat that is going to determine the winner of the game. How many times... Nick Bosa sacks Patrick Mahomes. If it's not if it's not a few times, if it's like once or zero, I think the Chiefs win. If Nick Bosa can get to Mahomes, as can D Ford and Foster and all those other guys on the defensive line, if they can get to him at least three, four, five times, the 49ers are gonna win. Because Mahomes won't have time to make those moves. And he might be in a situation where he's gonna have to scramble a lot more and they're gonna have to be really explosive and Tyreek Hill is going to have to go against Richard Sherman pretty much the whole game, which is going to be tough. Sammy Watkins might have to go up against Richard Sherman on a couple of plays, but I think they're going to put him on Ty- on Tyreek Hill, which in that case you're going to have to just try and outrun Sherman. Um, but I think another big reason why I think the Niners are going to win is I think they're going to kill a lot of clock. The Chiefs defense has had two first halves that they just did not play well defensively. They were terrible defensively against Houston in that first quarter. It just allowed Deshaun Watson to do whatever he wanted, had a slow start against the Tennessee Titans. The Titans controlled the first uh, quarter and a half of that AFC championship game until the Chiefs settled in. And if the 49ers want to beat the Chiefs, they cannot allow Patrick Mahomes and and that offense to settle in. Pressuring him with the defensive line, especially Nick Bosa getting by that offensive line and Don't allow Patrick Mahomes to settle in and get back into the game by just don't let him have the ball. So do what you did against the Packers, kill clock, do what you did against the Vikings, kill clock with your run game, kill clock with the short passing attack with George Kittle, especially, and just, just have Jimmy G complete a few passes here and there. Let Raheem Mostert run through the gates like he did against the Packers. And I think the 49ers will win easily. I think, I think it's a, A harder road for the Chiefs to win than the 49ers. I personally don't see a world where the Chiefs dominate the whole game. I just don't see it happening. The 49ers are just too good. They're coached so well also. But we've seen crazier happen in Super Bowls. We saw the Giants beat the Patriots in 08 and end the perfect season. We saw Eli win another Super Bowl, surprisingly, also against the Patriots. We saw the Steelers last drive against the Cardinals, We've seen the 49ers almost come back in 2013 against the Ravens after the blackout. We saw the Seahawks destroy the Broncos 43-8. to That was very shocking as well. And we saw the Rams play like garbage last year. So anything is really possible in these Super Bowls. But I think the Niners are going to win. But I think it'll be close. I think it'll be a 10-point game. I'm saying between a 10- and 13-point game. Because I think it'll get to a point where it might not come down to the last moment. I don't know if the Super Bowl will come down to the last moment. I hope it does. And I hope we get a Super Bowl to start the 2020s. That is an instant classic. And I think that is a that is a chance. But knowing the Niners, knowing the way they've played all season, i got to take the 49ers to win it all. I, I just got a feeling about them. And I think they're going to defensively be able to pressure Patrick Mahomes. And offensively, they're just not going to let Patrick Mahomes touch the football because they are going to kill clock with their run game. And they are going to kill clock with Jimmy G throwing a couple passes here and there to Kittle, Sanders, or anybody else that's open. So that's my Super Bowl pick. Let's move on to some tennis. The Australian Open's been going on. I actually haven't done a podcast since the Australian Open actually started. Um, So just initial thoughts from the whole tournament thus far. At the time of recording this, we know three of the four finalists for the singles. We don't know the last men's singles finalists. That hasn't happened yet. By the time you're listening to this, we will know the men's singles final for Sunday at like 2 a.m. But on the men's side, I mean, it's been, as predicted, it's been normal. The only surprise is Nadal losing to Dominic Thiem in the semi in the quarterfinals, I should say, as the number one seed. But this is another Australian Open where we've it's been proven that Novak Djokovic is the greatest hardcore tennis player of all time. He's just been running roughshod through everybody. He's winning set after set. He's just dominating every opponent. Another fantastic win over Roger Federer in the semis, and if he wins on Sunday, that will be eight Australian Opens, which. It's very hard to win eight of the same major. You know, a lot of people have done it three, four times. A, a lot of people who have won the same major five times. But once you hit the six, seven, eight, nine, you're getting into legendary status. And the big three continue to dominate. If Djokovic wins the final, that will be 15 consecutive Grand Slam victories for the big three, where you have Djokovic, the greatest hardcourt player of all time, Nadal the greatest clay court player of all time and Federer the greatest grass court player of all time. Slightly over Djokovic. I think Djokovic is in the running there. I think he needs to win a few more Wimbledon's to get past Federer, but it's amazing to see these three play in the same era. It is I think it's very similar to what we've been seeing with Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. The two of the greatest soccer players ever that played in the same era and if one wasn't and if one played when the other wasn't, They would have more goals, more titles, and all that. The same with this. If Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and Novak Djokovic all played in different eras, they would each be breaking each other's records. And in a sense, that's kind of been happening because in the early 2000s, Federer was winning everything. He would win three Grand Slams a year, no question. Nadal would always win the French Open, but Nadal could never get over the hump of winning anything else. And then in the 2008 Wimbledon final, which I still think is the greatest tennis match I've ever seen, he finally got over the hump of Federer and finally won at Wimbledon. And then Nadal started to build up a little bit of a rhythm. 09, Federer broke the record, won French in Wimbledon, and then Nadal in the early 2010s developed a rhythm of winning a lot of Grand Slams. And then Novak Djokovic started to come into the picture in the later 2010s as he started to win Joker Slams. He held all four Grand Slams at the same time. He's done three in a row a couple of times. And the fact that all three guys... From 03 to 2020, they've all, all beaten Pete Sampritz's record of 14. Djokovic is within four of Federer. Nadal is within one of Federer. Uh, That's unreal. And if Roger Federer didn't have Nadal or Djokovic to contend with throughout his entire career, Roger Federer would no doubt have 30 to 40 Grand Slam titles, easily. If Nadal never got over that hump at Wimbledon and didn't start winning other slams, Federer would be winning more Wimbledon's... He might have won a few more French Opens, and then if Djokovic didn't come into the mix, Federer would have won even more Wimbledon's, more U.S. Opens, more Australian Opens, easily. So it's pretty unbelievable. But the women's side, it's refreshing to see the parody. You know, this Australian Open has been full of surprises. Coco Gauff, great wins against Venus Williams and Naomi Osaka, but she came up against the better American in this tournament, which is Sophia Cannon, which... She beat Serena Williams at the French Open uh, in the beginning of June of last year, so we know who she is. She's had a a big win in Grand Slams before. It's not like she's coming out of nowhere, but in in the essence, she's sort of coming out of nowhere just because she's been able to make the final huge upset over Ashley Barty. You know, Australia has been rooting for a singles winner for this tournament for decades now. Uh, obviously, Margaret Court, Margaret uh, Smith, Margaret Court Smith. 11 Australian Open titles. An Australian woman hasn't won the Australian Open in like 40 years. No one's even made the final who's Australian for the women in also about 40-some years. Barty was the number one seed. She was playing out of her mind. She was beating everybody. And then Sofia Kennan just comes in and wins in straight sets. And she's got a good matchup against Muguruza. Muguruza is a very consistent player. She's had a she's had a injuries that she's battled. She's been in a little bit of a downturn since I think she won Wimbledon last or the French Open. But she's got two Grand Slams. Kennan's got none. She's 21 years old. I think she's the tenth American that's going to make a Grand Slam final debut on the women's side in about a four decade span. I don't know who's going to win. I think it'll be a three-set match, no matter who wins. If Mukurusa wins, then that leaves her a U.S. open away from completing the career slam. If Kennan wins, then we're in a we're in a real, we're going to be we're going to be in a real fun time in women's tennis just because we're going to have different Grand Slam winners for, like, every tournament. That's where we're at. You know, Osaka won two straight from uh, 2018 U.S. Open to 2019 Australian Open. Then we had Barty win her first. We saw Halep win Wimbledon. Bianca Andreescu coming out of nowhere to win the U.S. Open. She was injured for this tournament. And now it's going to be or Muguruza, which is very exciting. And there's just been all these, you know, big upsets. You know, Muguruza beating Halep in the semifinals. Serena got knocked in the third round by uh, Wang of China. Ons Jabor, the Tunisian player, made the quarterfinals. We had Annette Kantovet, the Estonian, make a quarterfinal. Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova made the quarterfinal from Russia. So, and it's, it's you know, it's interesting the difference because on the women's side, we are seeing so many different players, especially a lot of young Americans who want to take the mantle for Serena? All these players who were inspired by Serena and Venus, especially Americans, that wanted to be professional tennis players and are starting to play to this level at such a young age. Coco Goff, Sophia Kennan, Madison Keys, Allison Risk. All these players are playing to a level that is remarkable and they're all going to be winning Grand Slams. Whereas on the men's side, you just don't see someone who's... We don't have that name that seems like he's at a point right now that Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer are ready to pass the torch to them. The three that come to mind are Theme, Tsitsipas, and Zverev. Tsitsipas lost early. You've got Zverev and in theme, in the, theme in the semifinal. Zverev, I think, has a lot of potential to be a great player, but one of these guys needs to start winning slams right now. You cannot allow Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer to continue running the show for even more years. You could get to a point now where you'd have a two-decade span a 20-year span of these three guys essentially winning all the slams with a little bit of Andy Murray and Stan Varenka mixed and the occasional odd winner like Marin Silich or Juan Martin Del Potro. I wish Juan Martin Del Potro is one of the big injuries that I just wish he just didn't get injured. I think Del Potro would have won more slams. And him winning U.S. Open in 2009 was really cool. I think that's one of the great moments in tennis history. Federer was on such a roll that year. He finally got his French Open. He finally won his 15th Slam. He was on top of the world. And then Del Potro won the U.S. Open. I thought that was an amazing moment in tennis history. Just what an upset. So those are my thoughts on tennis. Tennis. Now we're going to switch over to basketball. And first, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, NBA All-Star selections. All-Star weekend is coming up in Chicago. We'll begin with the starters, if I can find them. Here we go. So the All-Star starters are the Eastern Conference. You've got Giannis as the captain again. Unsurprisingly, Joel Embiid, Kemba Walker and two first-time All-Stars in Pascal Siakam and Trey Young. Trey Young is balling, man. He is getting buckets and assists. He's been playing fantastic. Then on the west side, the captain once again for a third straight year, LeBron James. You've got Anthony Davis, James Harden, Luka Doncic, and Kawhi Leonard. Um, Luka Doncic getting in for the first time. Well deserved, but the Western starters are basically a block. And the reserves have just been announced. So here are the reserves. Out of the Western Conference, you've got Brandon Ingram of the Pelicans, his first All-Star. Rudy Gobert finally making an All-Star team for the first time. Nikola Jokic in there again. Damian Lillard. Donovan Mitchell's an All-Star for the first time. Russell Westbrook for the ninth time. And Chris Paul, who has been fantastic for the very surprising Oklahoma City Thunder, is back in the All-Star game for the tenth uh, time. Devin Booker, the biggest snub probably. And then on the eastern side, you've got Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, the Miami Heat center for the first time. Kyle Lowry's in. Chris Middleton's back. Demantis Sabonis, the son of Arvidas, playing for the Pacers, his first all-star appearance. Same with Jason Tatum, his first all-star appearance. And Ben Simmons is in the mix as well. Biggest snub, Bradley Beal. And guess what? Bradley Beal's not happy about it. Bradley Beal's averaging 28 points a game. He was interviewed after finding out and having played for the Wizards that day. And He was not happy. He was like, this is disrespectful. I can't believe I wasn't an all-star. I'm going to go take my team to the playoffs. And I can't believe he wasn't. The fact that Bradley Beal is an all-star, you know, you see someone probably like Jason Tatum, maybe Demantis Sabonis. I mean, there's a couple in here where you're like, okay, they've been fantastic, and they're definitely all-star players. But over Bradley Beal, I don't know. Bradley Beal got totally and utterly snubbed but the big news that's coming out of all-star weekend is actually the format change so the nba tweeted out this big long graphic with a lot of words explaining the brand new all-star format and i'm going to try and explain in a way that is as simple as possible which is a already a bad indication that this is really complicated so essentially both teams are going to be playing for chicago-based community organizations on board Love that idea. I love the fact that you have people playing for charity for All-Star Weekend. Fantastic. Especially in the community that's hosting the game. The teams will compete to win each of the first three quarters, all of which will start with a 0-0 score and will be 12 minutes. So essentially, it's three separate 12-minute games. At the start of... And the winner of each of those quarters, I think, is going to like you know win more money for their organization, essentially. Then... When the fourth quarter starts, there will be no game clock and there will be a final target score, which is going to be determined by taking the leading team's total cumulative score through three quarters and adding 24 points to it in honor of Kobe Bryant. Once the final target score is set, the teams will play an untimed fourth quarter and the first team to reach the final will win the All-Star game. So you're like okay what is going on so they 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 had they had to write a long bullet point that had to give an example because they know people are not going to understand this so the example if we have a cumulative score through three quarters of 195 the final target score will be set at 124 points so then you start a fourth quarter with no clock and the first team to hit 124 points wins the all-star game and the community organization selected by the winner Of each of the first three quarters will receive a hundred thousand. A total of three hundred thousand will be donated through the first three quarters. The winner of each of the first three quarters will be the team with the higher score at the end of the twelve minute period. And the winning team, which will have the final target score, which is the, you know, three quarter cumulative score plus twenty-four, is gonna earn another two hundred thousand dollars for its designated community organization. So in short, this is a very confusing way to have a an all-star game that's different. Does this give the players the incentive to play defense? Maybe at the end. You know, this is all for charity, which I think is great. And I think that there is a way that the NBA can give these players a little bit more of an incentive to make it a competitive game. Because an NBA All-Star game that's competitive for all four quarters would be just brilliant to watch. It's fun to watch all the alley-oops and the fun threes and all that great stuff. But it'd be nice to see some effort. The way I think they're honoring Kobe Bryant here is, I think, a little too convoluted, and I honestly don't think it's a very intelligent way to do it. I think that they could have done a simple way that everyone can understand, and people were bringing up this idea hours after he passed away. They said, one team wears number eight, one team wears number 24. To me, that is the best way to do it, especially when the... The biggest coping mechanism and one of the biggest ways that NBA players are trying to honor Kobe is either change their number. If There's a, there's players who wear the number 8 or the number 24 that are changing their numbers. You know, Julio Okafor, Spencer Dinwiddie, a lot of guys who wear Kobe's numbers right now are changing their numbers in his honor. Paul George wants to wear 24 in honor of Kobe Bryant. We've seen the jerseys and the rafters that are retired by the Lakers lit up during the Grammys. They've been lit up at the Staples Center ever since it happened. And also, what was I going to say? I'm trying to pinpoint it out. And then the big news that happened on the day of Mark Cuban officially retired the number 24 in the Dallas Mavericks organization. And there's only very few athletes that have their number retired for organizations that they did not play for in the Big Four. There is no person in the NFL, I think, that has that honor. In national hockey, 99 is retired league-wide, Wayne Gretzky. 42 retired league-wide in Major League Baseball, Jackie Robinson. In the NBA, the Miami Heat actually retired number 23 in honor of Michael Jordan. They just didn't want anyone to wear 23. That's, I think, part of the reason why LeBron James wore 6 when he played for the Heat. And now the Dallas Mavericks are retiring Kobe Bryant's number After he passed away. So no one's going to wear 24 ever again in Dallas Mavericks history. A lot of other players are not going to wear 24 or number 8 again in their history. Their personal playing history. And there's been a... I think that's the best way to do it. The NBA should stay consistent with what their players are doing. And how other people are honoring. By using his number as sort of the way to honor. Everyone wears 24 on one team. Everyone wears 8 on one team. Don't do this little... Let's find a way to make the all-star game engaging to give. Let's find a way to make the all-star game engaging. I'm not going to say it's a bad idea to not give money to charity. That's a fantastic idea. I think the whole, I think the concept of the team that wins each quarter wins money for charity. I think that's brilliant. But this whole 24 point target score, you're confusing a lot of people. I I just don't think it's, you need a simple way, a way that everyone's going to understand to honor Kobe Bryant because the world was sh- was shaken by this event, by this, you know, this passing of this transcendent athlete, this transcendent celebrity, this transcendent man. And f- this is the most convoluted way to do it when everybody else is keeping it as simple as possible. And their first thought is like, I'm going to either stop wearing his number or I'm going to start wearing his number to honor him. Or I'm going to write his number and Gigi's number and all the other family names on my shoes or my shorts or something. So... I'm not a fan of the way they're honoring Kobe at the All-Star Game because it's just too confusing. And a lot of people are going to watch the All-Star Game and be like, what is he- what is going on? Why is it 0-0? Why is this the target score? Why is there no clock? Because there's a lot of NBA fans that just don't have Twitter and don't follow this stuff. And they might see it on NBA TV and they'll be confused. And I'm sure you just heard me talk about this. And it's the same level of confusion as how the Euro qualifiers work for the European Championships – that's the first thing that I just thought of because I've tried to explain how the playoff system works so many times, and a lot of people still think this is so confusing. I just don't get this. But I think that's a good segue to um, talk about my thoughts on Kobe. Now that I've kind of let my emotions settle, I, I cried. I-, I think a lot of people did. It's the first time I've ever actually you know, felt that kind of emotion for someone who passed away that um, that I never knew personally. Who was just a, an athlete in my life? Um, Kobe was never my favorite player in NBA history, but you know this is a guy that I watched all the time growing up. You know, I grew up with Kobe Bryant. He was drafted when I was born. Um, my brother watched him a lot as a kid. You know, this was essentially the closest thing to Michael Jordan we we ever got as kids before LeBron James came. Because as Ohio people. LeBron James was like, this is the guy. I mean, my brother was basically talking to me, and he was like, you know, when LeBron James was drafted, it's like, okay, LeBron James is the guy that's going to be able to beat Kobe because Kobe was the man. He he was always the man. Uh, you know, when you're a kid at school, you play basketball, you shoot paper into a trash can. A lot of people have talked about this. You shout Kobe. You know, that's the kind of legacy he had. And I found out, I mean, this is a where were you then moment easily. This is, for me, I think this is the most earth-shattering moment in the social media history because everyone had a reaction to it. I know people who don't watch basketball. I know people who only know Kobe Bryant. I was like, okay, Kobe Bryant, the famous basketball player, and they were shaken by this. They had an emotional reaction to it. Other athletes from other sports had an emotional reaction to it. Other athletes from other sports that didn't even know him personally had a reaction to this. And yes, there's been a lot of earth-shattering, you know, world-stopping events that have happened in the social media era. A lot of shootings unfortunately, like the Vegas shooting, the Orlando shooting, you know, a presidential election that shook the world when Trump beat Clinton. I'm not saying that that's the outcome I would have wanted or not would have won. I'm just saying it was Trump winning the presidential election in 2016 was probably the most significant event that took place in the decade of the 2010s. Right. But You know, people have emotional reactions to the shootings of the shooting in Vegas, the shooting in Orlando, but everyone has that reaction. It's more people have a reaction. I I feel terrible for the families that lost their loved ones and all that. But this is for people that you don't know, people that you're not familiar with. And a lot of the times, a lot of people have the reaction of, you know, gun control. We need more gun control. Sometimes people don't react to it like it's not about the victims. It's about politicizing it and we need gun control kind of but this this was just a tragedy on another level and it was so unexpected i basically was in the shower i got out of the shower i saw texts from my family i saw a text from my girlfriend and i was like what kobe bryant is dead what and then i looked on twitter and yeah it was real i still can't believe it's real it's still hard for me to fathom that it's real because you never thought someone like Kobe Bryant was gonna die in an accident like this and then I just kind of went numb as soon as I found out I was about to go to the store to Myers to buy some food um, but I was numb, I immediately turned on the TV I was flipping between ESPN, ABC and all that and then I started seeing tweets of people reporting that all of his daughters were on the copter and Initially I'm like oh my god oh my god don't don't let this be. I was basically like praying to god don't don't let that be the case. But at the same time I I know enough about Twitter, I know enough about journalism and I know enough about fake news and how the media is to say I'm I'm going to pray that that's not the case, but I'm not going to believe that this is 100% true because guess what? People can misreport stuff all the time. You know, TMZ was the first people to report this. It didn't even come from the state of Los Angeles. It didn't come from the coroner. The fact that his wife and his daughters found out that their father died from TMZ. Now, they're obviously one of the few people that would immediately know that Gianna was with them, and she also died in the accident as well. But also the, the media in general. I thought that day was a big... It, it was a day of everything for the media. Good, bad, ugly great in the middle. A lot of people treated it with care. A lot of people treated it with respect. But major media outlets did not because everyone misreported who was on the helicopter, how many people were on the helicopter, because guess what? People wanted to be first. And that's not what journalism is. And a lot of people and a lot of journalists are starting to treat journalism like that. We need to be first. We need to get the clicks. Not when people's lives are on the line. With any journalism, even if it's the smallest... Story that doesn't matter, even if it's for, I don't know why this popped up, but like in Anchorman when uh, they cover a cat fashion show and Seth Rogen's filming it, even something like that, it's not about being first, it's about being right. You need to report that fact correctly. You need to report who won the cat fashion show correctly. But in an event like this, when people's lives are on the line, when it's maybe 10 or 15 minutes after they announced that Kobe Bryant was in the helicopter and died... You don't just come out and say all his daughters were on the helicopter with him. Three people were with him. Then some people were saying four people were with him. Then some people were saying five people were with him. Just wait. Just wait until the sheriff announced that eight other people were with him. Just freaking wait. Who cares about the clicks? Who cares about being first? You have to be right. That's your job as a journalist is to be right, especially when it's people's lives on the line, can you imagine what you know Kobe's daughter's friends were thinking when they first heard the report that everyone was on board? Can you imagine, or her grand, their grandparents, you know, their aunts, their uncles? You can't put them through that. You have to be right. Wait, be patient until all the facts are there for you. And at the same time, we also saw people decide right after Kobe died when it was still fresh in our minds it it burned a hole through our hearts and our souls and we were all heartbroken and this people were even doing this after they announced that Gigi was with him and people started to bring up his, his rape case people started to bring up him as a basketball player like we there were people who were like Kobe's not even my top 10 basketball players I'm like dude shut the f up man he just died. This is not what this is about. It's not about his basketball prowess. That's how he made his living. That's how he made his name, yes. But that's that's not the time nor place to bring something up like that. That is not something that is worth mentioning after someone just died at such a young age with his daughter in such a tragedy. With, with the whole people bringing up the rape case and There were journalists who got suspended for it because we're talking two hours after it was announced, people were just tweeting out stories about his rape trial. And there are people who covered that rape trial that probably felt a lot of effects by it and felt that it was the right thing to do. It's worth bringing up because some people think about things in different ways. I'm sure people who covered that trial, that was the first thing they thought of. But people like me or other people who are sports fans and all that, we we thought of the basketball player. And I also thought of him, him as, you know, the family man. The first thing I thought of was his family. I didn't think of him as a basketball player. I thought about his wife and I thought about his kids. And there's a lot of people who didn't think that initially and they used it to make a point. They used his death to make a point. He, he raped someone. He made a mistake. We all make mistakes. But... The beauty, the beauty about being human is that you can get second chances, and granted, yes, rape, murder, all, all this kind of stuff. It, it's terrible, but you shouldn't use that to take away the heartbreak and try to, you know, justify it's okay, you know, to not be torn apart about this. Because there's a lot of people who tweeted about it very insensitively. Some people tweeted it very sensitively and were very smart about it you know but the the thing that i thought of when i started seeing people do that was aaron hernandez convicted murderer documentary just came out where we know he's killed 3 people he killed 3 people he killed people when he was a professional football player you know he had a lot of mental struggles you should watch the documentary if you have netflix by the way but even though he was flawed even though he did horrific things it's still tragic you still feel for his wife and his young daughter who lost their father. You still feel, you know. You you shouldn't just say, Aaron Hernandez killed himself in prison. But he was a murderer. No, it's not but he was a murderer. Someone, lo- someone lost someone. Someone lost their husband. A wife lost her husband. And a daughter lost her father. And so many other people didn't even, you know, want to. Some people try to not acknowledge other athletes even before we knew the names of the other people in the helicopter crash. We're trying to make sure we're thinking about you too. We're sending you love as well. It's not just to the, you know, we're sending a lot of love to the Bryants, but we're also sending you a lot of love. So, and even as I'm saying, all of this might not make sense to some of you. This is kind of the, my way of, you know, talking through it and all that after I essentially broke down when I found out about Gigi, because to me, that's the worst possible thing, you know, for a mother and a wife with her three other daughters to to lose her other daughter and her husband. But other family, you know, the Altabella family, Altabelli family was affected too. John, the baseball coach, who had previously coached Jeff McNeil and Aaron Judge, his wife, Carrie, and their daughter, Alyssa. You know, that's that's, that's a son who lost their parents and, and his sister. Christina Mauser, whose husband talked on the Today Show. Sarah Chester, Peyton Chester, another mother and daughter, and the pilot, Ara Zabayan. You know, nine innocent people lost their lives in such a tragedy, and it really affected the whole world. The world stopped. This was a tectonic event that affected everybody. And you could see the emotion from everyone the tributes were pouring through. And it was so powerful to see because it just showed how much Kobe transcended basketball. There are so few athletes that you can think of that transcend their sport. You'd put I put Kobe in a group with Messi, Ronaldo, Federer, Nadal, Jordan, LeBron Ali maybe Derek Jeter David Beckham Usain Bolt Michael Phelps guys who go across their sport and Kobe Bryant didn't just do that as an athlete he did that as uh, as the man that he was he was he was smart and brilliant lived in Italy he knew four languages he loved soccer he loved other sports he loved supporting women's sports after he Proudly was a girl dad, and I love that that hashtag uh, started flowing around. That story from ESPN was all was fantastic. All the stories to hear were were very cool. But all these athletes that knew him personally, you know, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, of course, Shaq, um, Ronaldo, Messi, Djokovic knew him pretty well. Sabrina Ionescu knew him. Naomi Osaka knew him. Sharif o'neil and the the kids of those athletes who thought of him as, like, an uncle or a father figure, you know. Sharif got a text from him on Instagram that morning, so it's kind of nuts. But the the love w- was outpouring for Kobe, for Gigi as well, everybody else too. The baseball world uh, acknowledged John and his wife. I mean, everybody acknowledged everybody once we found out who who all of the... all the, all the people were that were in the helicopter. So... It, it was just, it's very sad. It's, it's just incredibly, incredibly sad. The fact that the Lakers had to postpone a game, you know. You'd expect that Kobe Bryant's wife would be the last person to say anything about it on social media, and she was. Which, by the way, I don't think it's a good thing that we have this expectation now of everybody who has a social media account to have to say something about a big world event. You know, especially people were complaining like, why haven't the Lakers said anything? Why hasn't LeBron said anything? People were not complaining about Vanessa not saying anything because that's, of course, justified and understandable. But people were like, why is not LeBron posted anything? Why haven't the Lakers posted anything? Why do they have to post something? Why Why do they need to do something on social media? Why do we have this expectation now that whenever something big happens, we have to post about it? You don't why is this a thing now because social media is a way to quantify your popularity your success how many people listen to you how many people don't listen how many people listen to you how many people care about your opinion part of that i think is unfortunate i think it's great that there's people that care about others opinions and the connections that social media has made are fantastic but Since Facebook, and now Twitter, and now Instagram, everyone has to feel this need to have to say something about everything. You don't have to say something about everything. If you don't have the right words for it, if you don't have the right way to say it, just don't say it. If you're not ready to say anything, which LeBron was not ready to say anything. The Lakers organization was not ready to say anything. Vanessa Bryant was not ready to say anything. Other people were, were quick on it because... Some people use it as their way of grieving. Some people use it as uh, their way to connect and show their fans that they acknowledge this. Like, I understand that it's a way to acknowledge and all that, but people demanding for this, come on, give me a break. Because that, that's not what it's about. You know, I, I wasn't prepared to say anything. That's why I didn't do a podcast on Monday morning. But now I'm kind of spewing my thoughts out since I've had more time to process this and It sunk in a little bit more. It's still unreal. I still can't believe it happened, but it, it sunk in more. But I thought the best way to end the podcast, I wanted to read Kobe's poem. He won an Oscar, man. And he also loved his kids. He was so, he was such, he was the typical dad, which is a lot of athletes you can't say that about where they're like typical dads in the public. You know, especially the ones who transcended their sport. Like, I think LeBron James, typical dad, when he retires, he's going to talk about his son in the NBA and his other and his younger son and his daughter so much. David Beckham's talked about his kids so much on all the talk shows he's been on. He talks about his sons playing soccer and their stories, he talks about his daughter as well. Kobe Bryant was that kind of dad. He loved talking about his daughters on talk shows. He loved talking about his daughters all the time. That's all he talked about. He talked about his wife and his daughters all the time after he retired. And it's heartbreaking to see how Kobe talked about Gigi and how Gigi was going to be the one that was going to keep on the legacy of basketball and the family. And the tribute that UConn did for her I thought was very touching and tremendous i thought that was a great move from oriema and and that university because she dreamed of being a husky and she was dreaming of being in the wnba but i wanted to read kobe's poem because it's not something i read often let's face it but i thought it was a good way to end the podcast dear basketball From the moment I started rolling my dad's tube socks and shooting imaginary game-winning shots in the Great Western Forum, I knew one thing was real. I fell in love with you. A love so deep I gave you my all, from my mind and body to my spirit and soul. As a six-year-old boy, deeply in love with you, I never saw the end of the tunnel. I only saw myself running out of one. And so I ran. I ran up and down every court. After every loose ball for you, you asked for my hustle, I gave you my heart, because it came with so much more. I played through the sweat and hurt, not because Challenge called me, but because you called me. I did everything for you, because that's what you do, when someone makes you feel as alive as you've made me feel. You gave a six-year-old boy his Laker dream, and I'll always love you for it, but I can't love you obsessively for much longer. This season is all I have left to give. My heart can take the pounding, my mind can handle the grind, but my body knows it's time to say goodbye. And that's okay. I'm ready to let you go. I want you to know now, so we both can savor every moment we left together the good and the bad. We have given each other all that we have. And we both know no matter what I do next, I'll always be that kid with the rolled up socks, garbage can in the corner, five seconds on the clock. Ball in my hands. Five, four, three, two, one. Love you always, Kobe. May Kobe, Gigi, John, Alyssa, Carrie, Christina, Sarah, Peyton, and Ara rest in peace. May their memory be a blessing and all my condolences to their families. Thank you for listening to this edition of the podcast. I will be back after the Super Bowl. To give my thoughts on the game. I'm hoping it's a good game. I'm hoping we get some entertainment on Sunday. Then I'm going to be on vacation in Nashville for the week, and I'll be back at some point to talk more. And next podcast, I will be giving the official teaser to the bracket we're going to be doing and how we're going to announce it. So thank you for listening to this podcast. Cherish every moment. Tell everyone you love that you love them, and Treat every day like it's your last and take advantage of every day. Live with the Mamba mentality because I think it's a great way to go about doing things. Treat every day and grind every day. So, thank you for listening to the Total Score podcast. Make sure to follow us at TotalSportsCore on Instagram. Make sure to go to our website, TotalsportsCore.com. More projects coming for the future for the website. This podcast is on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud, and we will be posting this on YouTube along with future podcasts as well. Our YouTube channel is also Total Score. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. Enjoy Super Bowl Sunday. We'll see you after the Super Bowl.